This is episode number 35. Life won't give you anything you can't handle with Joel DeCardere. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohi, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before I introduce today's guest, I'd like to make a brief announcement and invite all of our listeners to our upcoming conference, Path to Resilience, in Philadelphia on September 22nd. A conference where you'll have a chance to explore techniques for developing inner strength, becoming more persistent, finding your tribe, believing in yourself no matter how great the odds may be, and many more. For more information, please go to overcomingodds.today. Now, let's get back to our guest. Who are you? A question that some, if not most of us, seek an answer to. A question that led Joel on a lifelong journey of self-discovery. He said, I was 35 years old and I didn't know who I was. I wanted to write my own narrative. Without further ado, please welcome Joel DeCardere. First of all, thank you so much for being a guest on our show. And what I would like to do is I would like to start off with a question, and that is, for those who aren't familiar with your story, could you tell us a little bit about your upbringing from as far as you can remember? <laughs> from as earliest as earliest I can, I can remember, um, I was five years old, and I woke up one morning to find my mother missing. And as, as a child uh, instinctively does, will always look for their mother. And she wasn't in the house. And then I walked outside and she wasn't um, outside. And I just kept walking. And I, I'm, I'm usually um, with her in the morning. I, I'm usually catching a jeepney to her work. Mm-hmm. So I found it very odd that she wasn't there. And... As a child, I panicked and I just started walking away from the house and I just kept walking and I found myself lost and I found myself, you know, after a couple hours, found myself at a, at a market, at a strange market. Luckily for me, I was picked up by a taxi driver that brought me to the police station and because I was suffering so much um, trauma and, and, and loss, uh, I couldn't, well I didn't know the name of my parents, all I knew, um, all I knew their names were to be was Mama and Papa and I was, I couldn't tell them my name mm-hmm. or, where I, or where I lived. So I was transferred to a detention centre for about a couple of weeks, and then I ended up in an orphanage in Manila, in uh, Quezon City. 
I lived there for 18 months. I was pretty much just hoping and praying that my, my mum would find me, but uh, she never found me. And I was introduced to and adopted by uh, a couple, um, Australian couple from Melbourne, Julie and George. And they adopted me and brought me to Melbourne. And that's where I pretty much started a new, a new life. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, so um, back, you know, back in the orphanage, uh, I was given a new name. So uh, the date that I, the date that uh, my adoption, um, or the day that the papers were developed was August 4th. So August 4th was the day that uh, I was, I became eligible for adoption and they gave me a new identity. August 4th now for me is the date that signifies that the day that uh, I was given a new identity and that, that I lost my old one. So mm. um, I became uh, Joel Mancello, which is the name of the taxi driver that found me. And then later, Joel Mancello de Cartere, which is my Australian name that was given to me when I was adopted by um, my adopted parents. That's adopted, incredible. Adopted parents, yeah. Did, have you had a chance to reconnect with your birth family since? <laughs> yeah, so, um, so all, pretty much all my life, um, it was always a big question mark. Um, and I've always had my adoption papers with me. Um, that was never a secret. It was always, uh, my, my parents were always transparent about where I'd come from and what happened. And in, in, my, in my paperwork, it was always the kind of, uh, impo it was an, always an impossible task to even, to even, uh, even comprehend or even try to find my bi biological parents because they didn't have a name. I didn't have an address. All I knew was that I was found at a market, a market called Munoz Market in Quezon City. And the name of the taxi driver, and, and that, that, was, that was it. And so when I, I, when I first came back, was, was, I was actually quite older. Uh, I was 18 when I first came back to the Philippines. It was my mother's idea. And I went back with my mom and my sister. My adoptive um, dad left quite early in the picture, so it was always my mom and my sister, and my sister was, um, or is my Australian sister, so my, my mother um, fell pregnant. So she originally couldn't um, fall pregnant when she decided to adopt, but then six months later when I arrived, she fell pregnant. So she has her biological daughter, uh, which is my, my sister, Mm -hmm. And so we, we went out, we went to the Philippines for the first time and I, I think that was the first um, indication how hard and impossible it was when we, you know, when we looked up in the phone book, uh, even tried to find the taxi driver because we thought if we found the taxi driver then it might give us a better indication of where exactly at the, in the market or what area I was found so that we could pretty much, that would be the second step is to go back to the market. And uh, after the brief search in the phone book, there was no Mancello. And when I asked, you know, can we go back to the market? Um, 
my adoptive mother refused because she thought it was, um, or she was told it, it was dangerous um, and that she didn't want me to be there. And um, so I came back from that trip really solidifying that this was like, you know, I, I really had to, you know, move on and that this was just a, something that ha had happened and I needed to, you know, I, ne I needed to uh, sort of see the, the positive and uh, understand that, you know, this is my life now in Australia and that that, that part of my past mm -hmm. um, is closed. Um, and then it was only till, uh, you know, in 2016, uh, I'm, a, I'm a filmmaker, I'm a, a director and producer, and I was commissioned to uh, shoot some uh, stories, a documentary series in Thailand of an organization that run a lot of orphanages in Thailand. They do a lot of work with kids who are affected by the tsunamis uh, in Thailand. And I was in the orphanage, uh, was in one of the orphanages, and you know when there's things that sort of, that remind you of your past, like similar images of my own orphanage and the kids and mm -hmm. the clothes and the, sh yeah, the shoes and, uh, and I started, I started going, wow, like that, I've really, I really parked that and, and um, I had this little, ex I had, had this experience with this uh, orphan boy and he, he took me aside and he was sort of playing and showing me some of his toys and reading this book. And even though we, we weren't um, able to communicate, uh, I looked into his eyes and I was like, I just saw a reflection of myself and I just, we, you know, we had this uh, interesting connection because we both were orphans and we both had lost our parents. Mm -hmm. And after, after that experience and then, you know, when I made the documentary series, uh, and one of the things I love about my job is that as a filmmaker and when I, when I edit a lot of the stories, I get to re-experience re things and I get to process things on a deeper level. Um, and... I just had this this real kind of desire uh, to go back to my orphanage, you know, and it was never, I never went back going, oh, I could, you know, I want to find my biological parents. It was just like, I want to go back to my orphanage. I want to go and visit and just reconnect to who, who I am um, because that was the only place that I could think of um, or that was, that was possible to uh, reconnect with, you know, my, my roots, my past. And then, um, with everything that I and you know, with everything that um, that I do, I get really I get really obsessed about. And so I I was you know um, researching every organisation under the sun uh, around adoption, especially in Australia first. And I connected with a couple of um, couple of organisations, um, International Social Service and Adopt Change, which are the sort of big organisations here uh, in Australia. And uh, when I connected with International Social Service, they, they offered a service that uh, gave uh, inter-country adoptees um, tracing services to find you know, their biological parents and also free counseling support for adoptees. Mm -hmm. And after going through a lot of um, different types of counseling, because I knew there was always stuff in the background, you know, there's always stuff in the background that I was like, I, I didn't really directly um, 
connected with being adopted. I always just thought that like, you know, maybe it's my dad leaving or, you know, maybe it's just my, my struggle for identity being a Filipino in, in an Australian um, sort of culture and, you know, you know, in a Catholic boys school with, you know, heaps of Aussies. And I thought, well, that's, that's cool. You know, if I could speak to someone who specializes and understands what, it, um, what it's like to be adopted, and then when and and then when they were when they offered the service of you know a tracing service for for adoptees to find their biological parents, that was that for me was the first step. Like you know I, I thought that well maybe perhaps they have these um, resources and they have these um, ways of finding um, of finding biological parents that you know in, in cases that would be sort of impossible like mine. So. You know, like, it kind of gave me a bit of a a bit of a springboard to go. Well, maybe, 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 maybe it is possible. So, you know, I went through I went through that organisation and and I opened my adoption papers again, and I was starting to read it in a different way now, like in in a very different way. I was really paying attention to the dates and the people that were um, mentioned in the papers and. And I, I kind of just became like this sort of a sh my my role shifted from a, being a filmmaker to a, a private investigator, you know. <laughs> um, and, uh, and and by the way, too, you know, one of the things that I was doing was well, maybe I should get a private investigator as well. Mm -hmm. But I but I didn't like the I didn't like the fact that someone was going to do it for me. You know, I I wanted to do this myself, or I wanted to work with someone uh, with an organization to do it. And so when I opened my papers and and you know wrote my note, my wrote some notes down and 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 sort of started to draft my first narrative um, for the very very first time to the organisation, they sent it off to their contacts in the Philippines and and that was that. And I was like, okay, cool, you know, maybe you know maybe a few weeks or maybe a month, and I'll I'll wait. And three months later, no words, no contact, and I and I rang them. And I said, what's what's going on? And they were like, well, you know, like the, our branch hasn't contacted us. We thought it was active and no one's sort of, you know, um, no one's contact, contacting us. And so that kind of frustrated me. And I think out of these, out of, you know, when life frustrates you or when you, when you obsess about something and you get let down, like for me, rather than shutting down, I kind of go, well, uh, and this is something that my mom taught me, I guess, it's something that I rubbed off um, on my mom was that, uh, you know, if you want to do something, you got to do it yourself. Mm -hmm. And so I, I said, well, you know what? I'm just gonna, you know, I'm gonna book my trip to Manila. Um, I'm gonna find a translator, and I'm gonna do it myself. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get there and, and figure it out. And so that was the end of 2016, and I gave myself three months. And you know, I, I, I pretty much prepped for two months prior to try to um, get as many contacts and uh, get as many leads as possible um, before I landed. And, um, and I crewed a, a, you know, crewed a local film crew that, that, I, that was going to help me kind of document the, the journey or the, the search because, you know, as a filmmaker, I wanted, to, I wanted to at least capture something and maybe put something together so that I could you know, one day maybe perhaps show my kids 
and you know answer their questions of like where did you come from and mm-hmm. where are your parents and because I didn't want to I didn't want to say well I I never tried because I you know when I I always I always think that if when I have kids I want you know if I'm going to say follow your dreams and do what you're going to say you're going to do I have to be the example mm-hmm. um, so I took myself over. Uh, within a month uh, of scouting the market that I originally was found at, I found a lead. Um, someone, um, someone told me that they knew of a couple that had lost a child back in the 80s um, at the, uh, so somewhere near the markets and someone who was working at the, um, one of the fruit vendors there. And that was a, that was a huge, that was a huge, um, uh, it was a huge find because, you know, to me it was like, well, you know, if these are my biological parents, like I could have done this like years ago. You mm-hmm. know, I could have done this. I could have. Uh, this could have. This could have been sorted. This could have been um, resolved. So 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 early in the picture. But when we eventually found the um, the parents that had lost their kids, Vicky and Danny, um, they they had told me that. Uh, they had lost the, the child, uh, their child, in 1989, uh, not 1985, which was the year that I was lost. And we even went through a DNA test, and it, it came out negative. But what came out of that was uh, the the local media uh, decided to help me because they had seen that I was, you know, that it, that I was committed to this search and that I was doing my own work and that I was also a filmmaker that was able to provide them with footage, footage. Um, of my search and uh, what I had done and, you know, stuff that was, you know, I had some archive footage. And so at this point, you know, and, and prior to that, when I, when I did try to contact the media, you know, before I got there and when I landed and, you know, a few weeks after, they, they, uh, they didn't, um, they didn't take it on, and they were too busy because it, it's just it's just a real co- common narrative over there of missing people, and it always sort of ends to you know it always ends up as a dead end. So it was it was a real struggle to try to get any kind of media support or um, or, or radio support because really that was the only re- way that I was going to be able to have any chance whatsoever. And so when the um, when the lo- the local uh, channel took my uh, story on uh it was a gmate seven uh the show called jessica soho and once they had released that first episode someone had come forward because someone had recognized me uh someone who had originally lived in the house that's incredible up in uh and she recognized me all the way from japan she was watching the episode on cable and at the time, I was um, was about three years old, and and this uh, this lady Dolly, she was about fifteen at the time, and she would always babysit me, so she knew what I'd look uh, what I'd look like when I was a kid. And she recognised me. She contacted the show. She contacted me on Facebook, and she sent this photo in, uh, the very first photo uh, of my mother that I um, that I ever was able to um, see 
and she said that this is your mother, her name is Linda, and this little boy there in the picture is Joel. Mm. And, I've, and, and I was like, I, had, I couldn't believe it, I couldn't believe my ears when the producer told me about this lead that they'd come forward. And, you know, one, one was, it was, it was an amazing experience to see my mother for the very first time. I mean, she was beautiful. And it was everything that I remembered um, of her. I didn't remember like any sort of physical details or, uh, but I just remembered her presence. And I, uh, and I also, also realized that my name was actually really Joelle. Um, so at some point in the process of making me el uh, eligible for adoption, um, I must have said my name was Joelle. Mm. Uh, but, um, but you know, back in that back in that time when people were doing paperwork, it, uh, it you know there was some sort of discrepancy. So, so that was, you know, it's a, it was an amazing feeling to know that my name was actually really Joel because I always thought that it was just given to me. Mm -hmm. I want to take a, I want to take a step mm. back and actually um, ask you a question, and that is, when you were doing the search, and when you were trying to find your roots and your family and anyone else that was related to who you were, how did you maintain that inspiration so that those who are about to or have been on a similar journey can kind of relate mm. and take away some some pointers for a trip like that? Um, well, I, I guess, I guess like, uh, you know, I, I think that anything really challenging anything you know quite big uh, whether it's in business or whether you want to start your own company or whether you want to um, you know take on a you know climb Mount Everest or you know just like mm -hmm. anything great that you need that you want to do like I, one of the things that that I know is that in order to be your word you have to be you have to be accountable um, and I knew that I knew at some point I'd get my, I'd, my, I knew at some point I'd get in the way of myself. And so when I went over there, I, I made sure that I made myself accountable so that when there was times when I was like, oh, I just, you know, like I'm really tired and I, you know, I, I wanna go, there was people knocking on my door going, okay, we've, we've gotta do this and we've gotta do that. And, um, and one of the things that really helped me to, to make sure that I wasn't going to give up on my own was to, to have a strong team behind me and and also what what really drove the search was was the uh, just wanting to know who I am and and that was really a, a, a huge a huge driver because you know I was you know I was 35 years old and I didn't know who I was mm -hmm. um, and, and 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 almost didn't really have much control over anything um, and everything that w it, it, it was just, I was just given everything, you know, like it's, this is like, this is your situation, this is your story. And I, and I, I, as a filmmaker, I wanted to, I wanted to write my own narrative. And so that, that was one of the big, biggest things for me. It, it was all around, um, identity and knowing where I came from because, you know, growing up in Australia, I, I, f I looked Filipino, but I, inside, I felt Australian. Mm -hmm. 
and so I want I wanted to I wanted to honor that part of myself um, I wanted to know the Filipino side of myself and I wanted to be I wanted to be around my people and when I landed in Manila I, it's, it's an amazing feeling to be able to blend in mm. and see yourself reflected that's amazing mm. I, I find it so interesting which is actually the topic of today's episode and that is everyone has a story live yours what I wanted to dive into and you just uh, mentioned that and that is the development of the self-narrative I've noticed from my own personal experience and the experience of seeing other people live their own lives that sometimes we are given a narrative so the society in the way forms that narrative for you for how mm -hmm. you should live your life and it becomes almost out of the ordinary to actually dig deep within yourself and live whatever the heart is telling you to do. So you're a perfect example just by sharing your story. And the question I have for you is, so once you figured out your part of your identity and you were on the path of finding more of it, what types of questions did you ask yourself as far as, okay, this is the person that I want to be and this is the life mm -hmm. I want to live versus the people outside of you may have been telling you, okay, Joel, you have to do this or you have to become this type of person. What did you say to yourself that kind of maintained you on the path of your own personal narrative? <clears throat> um, uh, I, I guess like, I think there's two things, you know, I think growing up uh, and there's being adopted, there's this expectation to be grateful. Mm -hmm. um, and there's this, uh, I guess, this um, this thing for, for me of, of trying to please people um, and trying to fit in and, and to try to be, you know, Australian and, and to overcompensate for that. And I realized when I came back from that trip, I was like, you know what, I don't have to please anyone. I can just be who I am. Mm-hmm and not have to try to be someone that I'm not. And you know, I like don't get me wrong, like I didn't I didn't <laughs> I didn't come back from the Philippines going I'm not Australian. You know, that's definitely not. Like I'm still I'm still very I'm still very connected to Australian culture and I, I am Australian. But I now I can say I'm I'm Australian and Filipino. Mm. And um and and, and also to uh, not having to apologize. Um, not having to try to um, to to be to yeah, to yeah to to please to please people to to try to to try to fit into the mold of of how I need to be in order to um, to to you know to work together or to be in a relationship or to um, to get along um, and 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 so now it's it's like. The questions is like now is like who like who do I who do I want to be, um, and what what do I stand for, and what how how has this trip affected me um, spiritually, um, my values wise, and and it, and it's now now like I I can kind of really start connecting the dots of how I am, mm -hmm. 
so there's there's very Australian things in me, like in business, in in the way that I um, conduct relationships. But there's also very very Filipino things that that uh, I acknowledge now. I go, oh wow, that's very that's very Filipino of me. Um, you know, the the way um, I guess the entrepreneurial spirit that I have. It's mm-hmm. very like when I when I went to the Philippines, I was like, wow, that these guys are hustlers. Like you know, <laughs> like I, now I know where I get my hustling from. <laughs> Um, and, and the, 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 uh, I, I guess the nurturing side of myself is very Filipino, um, and the wanting to, um, feed people, <laughs> um, the, uh, I, you know, my sense of humor is, is very different to say my, my mother, um, my adoptive mother. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I connected that dot when I, you know, I get fast forward when I found my mother and I brought her to the to Australia, and you know it was very surreal having my biological mother in my house. You know, and I was like, oh my God, I've got my my biological mother that I've haven't seen for thirty years just in the next room. <laughs> and then one night, one night we were watching just a really bad B grade um, horror action movie, and uh, we had some friends over. And my mother, my biological mother and I were just laughing our heads off on just some silly things. <laughs> and it was, that was when I knew that, like, I knew that where I got my sense of humor from. Um, and um, yeah, is that? That makes perfect yeah. sense. No, absolutely. Mm. No. The, um, I love that you mentioned that. And one of the things that I can relate to is actually that sense of humor. One of the things that I had... I, w- I wouldn't say it was a difficult time doing so, but I just took a while and I was developing that sense of humor because mm. as you can relate, for me, when I came here from Russia, because the language was different and the culture was different, it, it was in a way I had to figure out that part. How do you translate humor? Because oftentimes a lot of humor actually is not nonverbal. The way you mm. laugh, how you make jokes, certain gestures you make. And so I, mm. I remember during the first couple of years, my my parents and I, we used to laugh all the time because every single one of us within that uh, household had a different sense of humor. But somehow we found that connecting point at all times where if my brother were to laugh, then I'm somehow able to follow up with another joke that's related to mm. that. And then my dad's able to chime into that and then my mom. And so we look back at all of it now and, and we just ask ourselves the question is, how does that even make sense? How did that happen? Yeah. Like we we're yeah. all literally different people with different personalities, different age groups. And yet yeah. we're still able to find that common laugh no matter what the situation mm-hmm. is. <laughs> yeah. And if anything about, you know, you know, my mom being from a totally different culture and then me bringing being me being brought up in a very different culture and laughing at the same things and knowing how to stir each other up mm-hmm. after you know like after no contact for 30 years i think that's just, i think that's just extraordinary you know mm-hmm. and i think that's that's where you know the those little things and i feel like it's a little minor thing but like it's it's a big thing for an adoptee to to these little things that help us to solidify our identity, you know, mm. things like 
things like when Ma, so I call my biology mother Ma. So when Ma was like, you've still got the same laugh when, you know, w when you were five years old. And you know, that, that's like, that's big, you know? Yeah. Because when you, when you grow up being adopted and you know, bringing people home from school going, oh yeah, this is my mother and my mother's like, you know, fair skin, red hair. And they're like, no, she's not. Like, no, <laughs> yeah, she, no, she, no, she is. And having this very totally different, um, you know, side of myself, you know, and, and not just the color of my skin, but just the way that I see things and the, the way that I move and the way that I laugh and like what, what, what I see is funny. Um, it's, it's, it's like when, when your own biological parents are saying, yeah, that's, 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 that's totally you, um, you know, 30 years later, like it just helps you to just really solidify who you are. Mm -hmm. uh, and, it's in, and it's in those small things that, that make a big difference. Absolutely. I want to transition from the, the self-narrative and how you were able to use that in developing your passion. And the question I have there is, how do you fuel your passion and what keeps you going, especially during the times of adversity? I, I, guess, I guess what fuels my passion is the, the hunt for a good story, you know, the um, human stories, pe people. Uh, I, find, I find people very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I learn so much from just by hearing people's stories and meeting people, and and you know I, I love traveling the world, and you know I'm not not much of a sightseer, you know I'm not not really um, fueled by history of a country, but I I love when I when I travel I lo I, I love meeting people, um, and when I can what what fuels me is that if that after doing this search, I knew that my my skill set as a filmmaker was was much bigger than than just making corporate videos um, here in Australia. Like mm -hmm. I knew that I know that like after you know after this experience and after making my own documentary that 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 the purpose that I have been put on this earth is to tell stories that are actually going to make a difference in the world that, that are people are going to benefit from. Um, and that's, you know, the, the human narrative and the complexities of, of, of someone's um, journey, uh, I know that, that once that is shared, that, that it, it, helps, it helps people. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, and and I guess like it, you know, like one, one thing that's fueled me is that like, I guess that once you find your purpose in life, once you know what that is, then it, it just, that's, that's the fuel for me, um, being purpose driven and knowing that, knowing why you've been put on this earth to do. Um, and during adversity, um, I, I know this, there's something that has, someone has told me um, that I've always held on to is that life will never give you anything that you can't handle. Um, and through some, and, and, and you know, like finding my biological parents was a big high, but you know, like no one kind of really knows the adversity afterwards. 
um, and how I've had to recalibrate what this means for me and, and my life as well. And, and it, you know, finding my, my biological parents took a huge financial toll on me, um, which is a, a lot of the reasons why um, adoptees really can't, can't do a search like that because of just the one, the time, Mm -hmm. And to the f the f the financial um, uh, involvement in it, and um, but you know, I I knew that like I wouldn't I wouldn't have I wouldn't have taken it back, and I like now now I know who who I am, and now I know who my parents are, and my now my parents know that that I turned out okay, you know that that I'm that I'm well and happy. I, I love that mindset because it says a lot about who you are as, as a person and the, the line that you said with life will never give you anything you can't handle. Um, within that, e even within what you just shared about making the decision to go after finding your family, knowing that it's going to be expensive, knowing that you'll have to make those flights and the arrangements within that country and food and stuff like that. I've actually put myself in those positions on purpose because I know that when you add pressure to yourself, absolutely, it actually helps you grow that much more. Just absolutely. knowing that the fact that you will have to bounce back, no matter what it is that you do, you, you literally have no other option. Mm. That you'll have to find a way to bounce back from that challenge. It, yeah. that's what I think builds your character and that's what builds yeah. your skill set and that's what you know speaking of fuel and your passion that's what really like fuels your passion even more because once you yeah. find it then then you know at least for me there have been so many times where I've put myself under financial duress one of them being when I actually moved to Austin Texas I moved to Austin with two months worth of rent that that was it Yes, I had yes, I had my parents and, and a support system that I, that I can always fall back on, but in my mind, I just said I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna find mm -hmm. a way. So I got mm -hmm. here, and I think one of the most important things that people can do when they are in positions like that is you have to act. It's actions that's going to create, and inaction is all that ultimately stops it all. So even if you're taking small steps every day and they may not be resulting in immediate results, it's still going to lead towards that larger picture. Just like you, you said before, it's the small things that count. It's not, mm. you don't often hit that, you don't often hit gold on day one. You have to dig and you have to find other ways and connections and plenty of people along the way will say no or I can't help you, but the more you do it, the higher your chances are. Yeah. I, I came away from that experience um, and you know I, I, I just I just think that anything is possible now because after achieving the impossible like I, I, I know that I know that like whatever I set my mind to I, I, I'll be able to do um, and that's a, that's a big thing you know mm -hmm. that's a, it's a big thing and, and you know like every time, now when I take on something it's like this is this is nothing compared to what I've what I've done you know and and as you said before when you put yourself under that pressure 
um, and you, you, you put yourself, I think, in order to um, build character is you've got to keep pushing yourself to that breaking point. Um, yes. And always, always that's, that's, that's where like character is built uh, at that breaking point. Every, you know, if you can get to that point every time and that's, and that's just evident with, you know, athletes and, and, and artists and, and entrepreneurs, like they're always bringing themselves to that breaking point where that's, that's, that's where like, you know, like when you, when you, when you've done everything that you can and you, then you have to go, okay, well, that's, that's it. Like, if, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But as long as I can do every single thing that I can mm -hmm. to, to, you know, to get an outcome that I've set my mind to, then, you know, like, look, if, if I hadn't found my biological parents, my, like, I still had put myself to that breaking point and, and that's all I wanted, you know, that's, I, that's all I wanted. I, 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 I all, all I wanted was I wanted to try and 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 it and it and achieve the impossible and if it didn't if it didn't if the world if the universe was like no sorry it's not going to happen well well at least I tried mm -hmm. and within within that within trying I came away with I would have came away with the second best thing is is knowing my identity of being in the Philippines and being as accepted as a Filipino um, and being invited back into my country, mm -hmm. um, all these all these different outcomes that, that you know that a lot of people don't know about, like reclaiming my Filipino passport. You know, uh, when I went to the embassy and gave my adoption papers and said, "Yeah, I want my Filipino passport back." Mm. Um, those little things, those things that just build build your identity and 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 honor who you are as a as your you know your primary culture absolutely which i think speaks yeah. to the point of i'm a big believer that life is not about the final destination it's all about the process absolutely. and so what you just said about it the just the whole thing of, of trying to find it putting a goal out there and trying to get to it yes you may not be able to use some of those skills down the road but just the things that you've de you'll develop along the way even with starting something like this, I've learned that, it, and it's very funny because I look back at it now and I said, well, once upon a time, starting this particular organization was a dream. You know, it was impossible. How could I? I didn't have the resources. I didn't have the knowledge. And I think one of the most important things, and I, I got this from Simon Sinek after listening to one of his talks, and he said, the hardest part about starting the business or new or any sort of venture in life is just having the courage to do it. Mm. To just really stepping outside of your comfort zone and saying, yes, it may not work out the exact same way that I envision it right now, but I'm going to mm. get there. I'm going to mm. find the way. I'm going to find the people. And that's yeah. what I think the most important part in developing this mindset of growth and not giving up no matter how great the obstacle may be in front of you. Yeah. It's amazing though, like with, with, with my own experience, you know, everything that I've set my mind to, it's always like I've always achieved something a little bit different. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's and, and that always, it's just always evident that, you know, like when I set my mind on something now, I go, I'm not gonna be attached to the outcome. I'm just gonna just focus on what, what I can do. Um, 
but not be going, okay, this is this is exactly you know, this is what I want, you know. Mm-hmm. There's been so much, so many instances in my life uh, that you know that what I thought that I wanted was was different. Uh, it was kind of it was like in the same kind of you know, it was it was it was the same in the sense of like it was the same feeling that I wanted you know, afterwards, mm-hmm. um, but it was, uh, the outcome was always a little bit different. So I've just really learned now to just, just focus on what you can do mm-hmm. and, um, and, and, and just, and, and look, and just being your word, you know, like it, when I went, when I went to, when I went to over there to Manila, I only told people when I was actually going there, you know, I, I didn't, didn't say, you know, oh, I'm doing this and, and not, never actioning it. It's like I only action, I only tell people when I'm actually actioning it. Mm. And I think that's a, a big thing too, because a lot of people get stuck on, on, on just saying it and not doing. And the doing is, is, is super important. Yeah. A friend of mine here taught me this lesson and he said that he doesn't like to speak of things unless they are in action on, or they're done. Because, yeah. but but within that, I, I also noticed from my own personal experience that there are certain things you have to tell yourself multiple times before they come into action. I think that's when you actually create the action. So, for example, Absolutely. you know, for me, one of the things that I used to tell myself was that I wanted to write a book. I wanted to tell my story. And what I've noticed is that the more and more I told that to myself and to other people, that's when the accountability and responsibility developed for putting together the process for writing a book. So now Mm -hmm. as I'm actually writing the pages and I'm putting together the chapters, I'm looking back and I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, I had to tell those words to myself in order to motivate that deeper part within me to actually commit to the process. Mm. And and and, mm-hmm. and I'm sh- I'm sure that like in order to create that you you would have been talking about it in the sense of talking to the people that that you needed to talk to in order to yes. help you mm-hmm. give you the guidance to that. So yeah, it's t- you know you, you got to create you got to speak it to create it mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm. Final thought for today's episode, and that is a it's a question we ask all of our guests on this show. When the odds are completely against you, what are some core fundamental principles that you always refer to? Life never gives you um, anything you can't handle. Um, you know, if you want something, you, you, you go out and get it yourself. Um, you've got to be um, true to your own word. Mm. Um, and yeah, and and nothing that's nothing will ever get done unless you do it. Like that's that's the one of the biggest thing is is this. You just got to get it done. Uh, for me. Mm-hmm. Um. And 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 folk and and I always focus on what I can do, not what I can't do. That's that's really important as well. Um. And I always think of. You know, with any uh, impossible task, or if the odds are against me, who who can I, 
who can I speak to? Who can I um, be around that's going to help me or, su- or is going to support me or is going to be in my corner to make me accountable to doing what I say, doing what I s- say that I would do? Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our weekly newsletter so you can receive all of our latest episodes, featured stand-up and speak-up stories, and ways you can be involved with Overcoming Odds. Once again, thank you for listening, and we'll look forward to having you next week.